0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman.
1: Welcome to Seasoned, I'm Marisol Castro.
0: And I'm Chef Plum.
1: On this show, we are endlessly curious about the different ways people cook and eat.
0: Ahead on Seasoned, we spend the hour with Michelle Tam, the creator of the Nom Nom Paleo website and the co-author of the Nom Nom Paleo cookbooks.
1: Michelle has degrees in nutrition and food science. And even though she has a doctorate in pharmacy, You won't find strict prescriptions in her approach to paleo cooking and eating.
0: We spoke with Michelle about her discovery of the paleo diet, why it works for her, and the hundreds of thousands of cooks who follow her paleo adventures online. She's even adapted her family's favorite meals, including those from her Cantonese heritage.
1: Michelle Tam is the James Beard Award nominated creator of Nom Nom Paleo, a wildly popular website and cooking app. She and her husband, Henry Fong, are the authors of three cookbooks. Their latest is Nom Nom Paleo, Let's Go Simple Feasts and Healthy Eats. Michelle Tam, thank you for joining us on Seasoned. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I feel like when I said, let's go, that's like (laughs) how it was, that was the original intent when you were coming up with that title.
2: Yeah, I I write with a lot of exclamation marks. So that is (laughs) exactly how you could say it.
0: (laughs) Michelle, one of the things about your books that cracked me up is I love the comics that you make in the front.
2: They're so funny. Yeah. So Henry, my husband, makes all the comics and he does all the photos. So I joke that he does all the stuff that people love. He's been drawing a a cartoon version of me for (laughs) almost 30 years. We met in college. And he was a uh, cartoonist for the newspaper at the Daily Cal at UC Berkeley. And I used to be a little character in his comic. I was like a mean little Asian girl. But now I'm much nicer because I'm paleo.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) That's so funny.
2: That is a courtship I've never heard of before. (laughs) Yeah. So my cartoon never ages. Like If if you look at the cartoon versions of the whole family, like Henry has a beard now and the kids are all growing taller. But I am the same with the same jet black hair and no wrinkles. It's
1: <laughs> fantastic. I'd like to. I'd like to hire your husband if you don't mind, <laughs> yeah. so he can make a an ageless character of me. Michelle, you are. Uh, you have a doctorate in pharmacy, and you've been a paleo cook and eater for more than a decade. I wonder if you could talk to us about that background of yours.
2: I joke that I was a zombie drug dealer because I used to be the night shift pharmacist at Stanford Hospital for twelve years. I think Nom Nom Paleo was kind of my secret side passion project where I was I, like, I started a blog while I was working nights, just because I discovered the paleo diet. And I was like, Oh, I feel so great. And it was like, I had taken the red pill, like on the matrix, <laughs> but just like everybody who finds something that works for them, I guess I was super annoying. And I was telling everyone about it. And my sister was like, you're being super annoying. Stop talking about being paleo. And so I'm like, okay, I'll start a blog about it, I guess. And I'll just tell people on the internet, but I didn't think anybody was reading it. Like I was just kind of doing it for me. Um, and I just started nom nom paleo as a Tumblr blog. And I was just documenting what I was eating every day. Cause I was like, I don't know what you're supposed to eat. So maybe this might be helpful for people. And I would swear all the time on it. Cause I didn't think anyone was reading it. But then as I started blogging more, I realized I can't just buy the food I want to eat like, and, and have it be paleo. So I started having to, you know, create my own recipes. And so then it just kind of evolved into what it is now, but paleo eating made me feel a lot better. I think my whole life, I kind of had all this kind of GI stuff and joint pain and all this other stuff that I explained away. I don't know, I just thought it was normal or I thought everybody else had it. And so I never thought that I felt weird or bad, but then when I went paleo, I was like, oh my gosh, like all of this stuff went away. I don't have like chronic GI, I don't have food poisoning every day. you know, Um, and my joint pain went away. I had like, it's called mommy thumb, but it's a type of like tendinitis that you can get. It went away when I started eating paleo. Yeah. And I think once I started eating paleo, I started kind of doing other things. Like I started kind of meditating and I was really, I was really determined to kind of make sure my sleep was really good, especially after I quit working nights. Just kind of this rabbit hole that I jumped down and started discovering all this other stuff. But at the same time, I'm no longer like this crazy paleo evangelist. Like it's been 10, 12 years. I totally understand if people are not paleo and they found something that works for them. My whole thing is I just want people to cook their own foods and recognize how that food makes you feel. And everybody's different. Um, you know, you could be vegan and be totally thriving, and that's amazing. But You know, I think paleo is a good starting point for people, but I definitely don't think that you should just eat a certain way forever and never explore other options.
0: You know, I think you're so right about that. What you put in your body makes such a big difference. Your body needs the fuel. and What everybody considers the best fuel possible may not be the best for you. It's it's different for everyone. So I guess we got to just get it out there so we all fully understand what we're talking about. Can you define what is paleo?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question because everybody has different (laughs) definitions. But for me, I feel like paleo is a way of eating that prioritizes whole, unprocessed foods and and nutrient-dense foods. So that includes vegetables, fruit, like sustainably raised animal proteins, uh, nuts and seeds and healthy oils, and, and avoiding things that can be problematic for some people, like dairy, refined sugar, seed oils. But I do really think of it as just a starting point, like you can do like a 30 day reset and see how you feel, and then slowly add in foods that you want back in your diet. And then if you feel terrible, you're like, Oh, maybe this food doesn't agree with me, (laughs) you know, but for so long, and because you know, I was a nutrition and food science major, when I was in college, I just ate whatever I was told was healthy. But I never thought about how I felt at all. And when i would feel terrible i just assumed it was food poisoning and i was just very sensitive even though nobody else you know had those same symptoms at what point did you at what point in your
1: life were you like this stuff that i'm eating is making me feel sick it does make me feel like i have food poisoning do you remember what you were eating specifically and that moment that you were like okay i'm going to stop eating devil dogs and i'm going to start eating quinoa or whatever it was
2: i never thought that the way i felt before was because I was eating the wrong things. When I was young, I used to have all this stomach issues and my mom would take me to the doctor and they would have rule out appendicitis and say, oh, it's just gas. And I'd be like, okay. There were other things that would happen in college where I would call the advice nurse. I'm like, hey, is this normal for me to for me to have? And they'd be like, Yeah, you know, you're a college student and you know, you're just sitting all the time. Like, I mean, I'm not going to go TMI, but there's definitely stuff where I was like, this is not a normal thing for an 18 year old. Right. Um, And it was really only when I went paleo, I was like, wow. But I also think it's because I am potentially celiac. And so when I cut out wheat, I just felt so much better. And these are also things that you don't talk about with your friends. Like you don't talk about your GI stuff. You know, I think when I I did start talking to people about it because I think like people I met initially in the paleosphere were like, Oh my gosh, we feel so much better. And we were comparing notes. I was like, Oh, not everybody gets these GI symptoms all the time. Like this is unusual. And then when they went away, I was like, Oh, this is, this is great.
0: <laughs> did you say paleosphere? Cause I have a thing called pizza sphere that I live in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> paleosphere. It's changed a lot. I think like when we first started, Like there was like a small kind of core group of people that were also blogging and we all kind of bonded. But then it kind of grew and became like this big thing. And I think now paleo is not even, it's not like a hot thing anymore. And there's a lot of people that were in this kind of world that I don't necessarily agree with a lot of stuff that they promote, but you know, people change. Yeah, Yeah, no, I get the sense from talking to you that um,
1: you're kind of like, Do you, Boo? Yes. I did me. Yes. And me happened to be paleo because the most important thing that you've said that has resonated with me is that we are not taught, at least not in this culture, to think about how food makes us feel. And when we do, Mm -hmm. it's usually in a very charged way. You know, you think about people with eating disorders. They are the ones that think about Mm -hmm. how food makes them feel as opposed to just everyday people like you and me. So how does that figure into who you are now, you know, you're the, the Martha Stewart, the New York times, I think called you the Martha Stewart of paleo, <laughs> which hello. I, I mean, if no you don't funny. have a
2: sash no, walking no, the around whole thing about that, the New York times initially said it, but they said it in a very kind of derisive way. They're like, she's something of a Martha Stewart of paleo. I'm like, whatever. But then I think CBS news took that and said, she's the Martha Stewart of paleo. I'm like, Oh, okay. You see, <laughs> and, it's all in the delivery. <laughs> It's all in little delivery, like, Michelle. But I'm like, whatever. Actually, Martha Stewart is so cool now. I was like, I'd be Martha Stewart. I want to hang out with Snoop Dogg. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about Martha Stewart making crab apple jam when she had did her five months at the, the Bedford County Prison. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, I, what I'm trying to get at is asking people to think about how food makes them feel, how that figures into who you are now and what you are doing, what mm. what kind of impact and effect are you having on folks who, who read your cookbook, who now, you know, who know who you are back from when you think back to those days when you're doing the overnights at the pharmacy?
2: I just want to be people's cheerleader on the side. As you said, I really do encourage people to figure out what works for them and their family and to make it sustainable. Our whole thing is we just want to make it fun. Like the whole, but I think that's the whole thing with food, right? I mean, it is like a very highly charged topic. Like you said, it's kind of like religion or politics and nobody wants to talk about it. And there's lots of cultural significance to a lot of the foods that you grew up eating. And so I don't want to tell people, you can never eat this again, if it's something that you grew up eating, and your ancestors have eaten forever. I think that you have to just figure out what works for you, and eyes on your own plate, and just be happy for your fellow neighbor who may be eating something different, but it works for them, and they're happy doing it.
0: So as far as things that you eat and don't eat, what is paleo to you?
2: So, paleo to me is like when I'm traveling, I'm just gluten free because I love eating so much. I I do want to try everything and I do want to kind of make a paleo version of stuff that I eat. But because gluten makes me feel terrible, it does have to be gluten free. And because I'm 47, like there's certain foods that just don't work for me anymore and I can't bounce back from it. And so I eat mostly vegetables, and then I'll eat some healthy protein with it. Especially when I'm traveling, I will really try to get a salad with uh, some steak or some chicken or, you know, I try to pack on the proteins. But you know, there are other non paleo foods that I do eat that I think work for me, like I like beans a lot, but they are higher carb than I can probably tolerate. So I make sure that I kind of pair it with some protein and fats. Like I think it's good for your microbiome, feeds, you know, the organisms in your gut. And, you know, healthy fiber is good. And I think it's a good source of it. But a lot of paleo purists are like, oh, beans are not paleo. But I'm like, well, if they're soaked and cooked properly, and you can tolerate, I think it's safe. And so you should always think of paleo as a starting point. There's no reason for you to always eat food that, you know, is on the yes list or the no list. But I personally cannot eat a lot of white rice. Even though I'm East Asian and my people have been eating it for millennia, I've discovered that when I eat white rice, like either in noodle form or just white rice, my blood sugar skyrockets and it stays elevated for like a long time and I get super sleepy. And so I rarely eat white rice or I eat it after I eat a bunch of fiber-rich food and protein. <laughs> yeah. And I know this also because because I do, like, I like all this crazy self-experimentation biohacker stuff. Like, I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a couple of months. Interesting. Just to kind of see how food affected me and which foods I should probably avoid. I know that's like craziness, but it's just me just trying to figure things out that work for me. You're listening to our conversation with Michelle Tam.
1: She's the co-author of Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go. Simple Feasts and Healthy Eats. It's her third cookbook with husband Henry Fong. Later in the hour, we'll get into recipes like potstickers and Michelle's fun-sounding mitza. I'm Marisol Castro.
0: And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, we learn about the staples of a paleo pantry, including cheesy-tasting nutritional yeast and alternative flours. Plus, Michelle talks about how the book showcases the many cultural influences that inspire her recipes.
2: It truly is a love letter to all the foods that I grew up eating.
0: This is Seasoned. We'll be right back.
1: Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro,
0: and I'm Chef Plum.
1: Our guest this hour is Michelle Tam. Michelle has degrees in nutrition, food science, and pharmacy, and she's also the creator of Nom Nom Paleo a website and co-author of three cookbooks with her husband Henry Fong.
0: Their latest book is Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go, simple feasts and healthy eats. It's a fun comic book style cookbook.
1: We left off talking with Michelle about what paleo cooking means to her. She eats the way she does, in part because certain foods simply don't agree with her. She eats a gluten-free diet, and unfortunately, she can't eat very much of the white rice that's a staple in Cantonese cuisine.
0: We asked Michelle how she incorporates her cultural influences into her paleo cooking.
2: The food that I grew up with, and this is both the food that my mom cooked at home, which is mostly Cantonese cooking, um, but also growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area where it's like a melting pot of all these immigrant cultures, I love all this food. Like I love Mexican food and Indian food and Vietnamese food and Ethiopian food. And so I like to create paleo versions of them. And especially in our latest cookbook, it truly is a love letter to all the foods that I grew up eating. And I missed because we were stuck in quarantine, not seeing my parents, not being able to go out to eat, not being able to travel. I think like our first book, we had a lot of recipes where I tried to make it kind of appeal to everybody. For this third book, I told Henry, I was like, I'm going to be selfish. And I really do just want to create recipes that I miss and love myself. And hopefully other people will love that too. But this is a cookbook filled with recipes I love.
0: (laughs) The chef and me always likes to go to talking about staple items in a a pantry, you know, because anyone who has a certain style of eating or way they like to eat, you know, it's always interesting to see what kind of items are in that pantry or how they'd be different from any other cook. What are some standout staples that, you know, maybe people who don't eat paleo might not know about and what are they good for?
2: So I do a lot of Asian cooking in paleo, but you can't use soy sauce because a lot of people either don't eat soy or, you know, they can't. You know, they're gluten-free and soy is normally fermented with wheat. So coconut aminos is kind of my soy sauce alternative. It's made from fermented coconut sap. And so it's brown and it's got a lot of umami, but it's a little sweeter than soy sauce or tamari. And so I always like to combine it with red boat fish sauce. And I specifically say red boat fish sauce, not because they sponsor me because I don't get sponsored by anybody, but because it really is like this amazing fish sauce that is just made with anchovies and salt. Wow. And I think before I went paleo, I never really read labels on anything. <laughs> Again, I don't know why I didn't. But if you go you know, to like an Asian market and look at all the different fish sauces, a lot of them have lots of other different ingredients. Like there might be sugar or there might be like hydrolyzed wheat protein or MSG or water or a bunch of other things. But red bow fish sauce really is just anchovies and salt. And so I combine that with coconut aminos to be a pretty good soy sauce substitute. I make a lot of my own kind of staples, especially at the beginning of paleo, like 10, 12 years ago, you couldn't buy anything. So I had to make my own mayonnaise and you have to make your own ketchup. And I have a bunch of spice blends just because you couldn't buy anything. A lot of people are demanding that the stuff that they buy doesn't have a bunch of weird additives in it and brands are listening and they want to make money. So they're making a lot of paleo friendly or junk free things that are on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago,
1: someone saying to me nutritional yeast and I was like, what in the heck is that? And now I put it on my popcorn. Yeah. You can find it just about everywhere. Can you talk to nutritional
2: nutritional yeast? has been around I think since the 70s like if you go to like a hippie health food store like people were using nutritional yeast as um kind of a cheesy parmesan alternative yeah and it is made from like baker's yeast and it looks like like these yellow flakes fish food yeah it looks like like the fish food that you put over your.
0: (laughs) I never thought of that and it kind
2: of smells it smells a little funky, but yeah. it really does. Add, and it has tons of umami, it's, right? It's delicious. That's why it's so yeah. tasty. And that's kind of one of those foods that I feel like paleo people and vegan people can bond over. <laughs> like, because you can make amazing cheese sauce. For a long time, whenever I travel, what I would do is I would go to a, like a raw vegan place because everything is dairy-free and normally gluten-free. And then I'd go to another place and I'd supplement it with some, you know, salami or some meat. And so I would, it was, I mean, I'm sure the people at the vegan place would be horrified, but you know, you're getting healthy vegetables. I also need a little bit of protein right. on the side. Right. And so that's a good way to go. But yeah, nutritional yeast is amazing. I, I love it. Yeah. And you can just sprinkle it on like popcorn or whatever to, right. to add a pop of flavor. Yeah.
0: And they haven't changed that label since the '70s either. It's the same label on that thing. At least they could change the yeah. font or something. I mean, geez, come on! It's 2022 now. What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some alternative flowers like arrowroot, almond. What are some alternative flowers that are great for paleo?
2: So when I started, it was only coconut flour, and that's really hard to work with because it like absorbs all this moisture. And then there was almond flour, but then sometimes it was super fine and sometimes it wasn't. And sometimes there were skins. And so there was just not any consistency, but now there's lots of alternatives. And so almond flour now, like I think almost all of it is super fine without the skin. And so most recipes you can use any brand off the shelf and it'll work. Cassava flour is a flour that I like a lot. And I use a lot in this book, which is from the whole roots. Tapioca is also from cassava, but it is just the starch, whereas cassava flour is the whole root. So you also have like the fiber and stuff that's like dried and, and ground into flour. Cassava flour works really well as kind of a, a wheat flour substitute, but you do have to doctor it a little bit. And I add a little bit of like arrowroot to kind of give it a little elasticity, because we created our last book during pandemic, I really flexed my paleo baking muscle because there were just a lot of things i missed eating. And I like sweets. For example? Like I made some paleo cream puffs for the book that actually work really well. And they're really tasty. And I use cassava flour mostly as the, the flour. One dish that my husband encouraged me to make, and I tested it over and over and over again, is Cantonese egg tart or don pat that is like the tart that you get whenever you go to dim sum, like there's very few desserts when you go to dim sum, but there are always the little plates of the egg custard tarts. And I was like, I really miss those, but I'm not sure I can make a paleo version. I did it and I made lots of tries and I would drop them off at my parents' house because we couldn't visit them. This was like pre-vaccine. And my parents said, you know what, these are not bad. And for my picky parents, That is like an A. I was like, oh, my gosh. I've never. I had to call my sister. I was like, did you? (laughs)
0: Let me tell
2: you. Mom and dad gave me a compliment.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Michelle, I got to tell you something that just as a chef that was just recently introduced into my culinary world. Green banana flour. This stuff is incredible. I've
2: heard about that. And I heard it's got like good prebiotic fiber that's like good for your microbiome. But I haven't tried super it. super
0: great I... for your brain. Super good for your brain. But what it does, that other these other flowers don't do. Like if you go to make a roux out of it, you know, add butter and make your yeah. roux, it actually will make a roux. Oh. It will it thicken sauces up and it's gluten free. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I have a bag of it upstairs right now. I make cookies out of it. They were pretty awesome.
2: Oh, I should, you know, that's the next thing, right? Like that's actually kind of the cool thing I think about paleo is kind of rediscovering foods and ingredients or techniques that people have used forever like that whole bone broth thing that was like the rage (laughs) like five six years ago like people have been making broth for years but nobody like for a long time nobody made their own homemade stock and so I kind of like that this trend as opposed to all of these kind of lab concocted meats and stuff like that. Cause I think, like, I do think mother nature did create things and, you know, with evolution, they kind of evolved to be, you know, healthy foods for us or, you know, our ancestors figured out what things were poisonous and what things weren't and what things were nourishing. And I, I don't think something created In a Petri dish is going to be better. But that's just me.
1: You guys were talking about flour a few moments ago. Michelle, can you tell us about your grain-free paleo bread? Because that's a recipe that our listeners might, they might get down with.
2: It is. Yeah, it is a paleo sandwich bread this one took a lot of time. And this one it's one of those things where you don't want to start recipe testing because you know you'll be wasting a lot of ingredients and wasting a lot of time <laughs> <laughs> and eating a lot of bad versions before you finally get the right version so that one was also a henry suggestion he's always good at suggesting recipes that i don't want to make but he knows will be popular and i have to work harder And so that one, so he came up with the first version. I was like, this is terrible. I'm going (laughs) to fix it. (laughs) And so then I kept on working on it. And then our recipe tester for the book, she's actually a baker and a non-paleo eater. And so she tested all of our recipes to make sure that they tasted good. And then she helped with this paleo bread and she actually paid someone as her baking guru that she Zooms with, I think once a week to talk about all sorts of baking stuff and her starters. And so she recruited her baking maven to help with this paleo bread. So this paleo bread has like lots of people who have helped make it what it is. It is a very nutrient dense bread. And so one slice I think will will be enough. Um, It's got six eggs, unsweetened cashew butter, almond milk, avocado oil, apple cider vinegar, cassava flour, golden flaxseed meal, psyllium husk powder, salt, and some baking soda. And so it's got, it's got quite a few ingredients, but it'll work. If you follow my step-by-step recipes, you will end up with a paleo sandwich bread that you can toast, make avocado toast with it. You can make my patty melts in the book. But the whole thing, I think with paleo sandwich bread, you know, me listing all those ingredients, like this is an expensive bread to make at home. So it isn't something that I think you should, and I also don't think you should be necessarily eating paleo bread three meals a day. This is kind of a treat. Okay. Because it's, it's not cheap to make and it is very hearty, hearty bread, but it works if you want a paleo grain-free sandwich bread.
1: You're listening to our conversation with Michelle Tam,
2: co-author of Nom
1: Nom Paleo, Let's Go! simple feasts, and healthy eats. Bread, it's just the beginning. There's lots more recipes to get to after the break. I'm Marisol Castro.
0: And I'm Chef Plum. After the break, we talk with Michelle about how she paleoifies everything from pizza to dumplings.
2: There's nothing that shows more love than dumplings because there's so much work involved.
0: You're listening to Seasoned on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro.
0: And I'm Chef Plum.
1: Our guest for the hour is Michelle Tam. She's been called the Martha Stewart of paleo. And along with her husband, Henry Fong, she's the author of Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go. Simple feasts and healthy eats.
0: Michelle considers herself an Instapot evangelist. Since we know many of you cook with Instapots, we encouraged her to preach.
2: I love the Instapot because... It is what a slow cooker or crock pot promises to be, but fails to deliver. I love it. Everyone loves the crock pot, you know, throw in a bunch of stuff and then like 10, 12 hours later, you're supposed to get this delicious stew, but it's always overcooked and always dry and just gross. With an Instant Pot, it isn't a pressure cooker, but it takes the scariness out of pressure cooking. It's a smart machine. It's got all these safety features. It won't explode like the one that your cousin's sister-in-law's babysitter had happened to her like way <laughs> back in the 80s. It transforms cheap braising cuts into just deliciousness and it cooks it faster. I mean, obviously it's not instant. It still takes time to cook in a pressure cooker, but you can set it and forget it and it keeps warm. So when you come back, it's amazing. So I, I love it. I love it for chuck roast and short ribs chicken thighs these are all things that are cheap and cook beautifully in an instant pot i don't think you should use the instant pot for everything like people who are like i use it for fish i was like ew why would you do that yeah Yeah, it's a terrible idea or when people say they cook shrimp in an instant pot i was like why would you do that you you just use an instant pot if you're like stewing or braising or making soup It's a great way to cook spaghetti squash. I was just gonna ask
1: you about that. Can you walk us through that one? Cause that's a fun one.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, the only thing is you have to find smaller spaghetti squash, but if you have like a little two pounds spaghetti squash, you can cut it in half crosswise and take out the seeds, pop it into your Instant Pot, like in a little steamer insert and add like a half cup of water. And so you're basically pressure steaming it for seven minutes, but it does take 10 minutes to reach high pressure. And then for seven minutes, it cooks under pressure. Mm-hmm. But then instead of like waiting an hour in the oven, you have like perfectly steamed spaghetti squash and then you can like stockpile it in the fridge. But I like cooked spaghetti squash for a bunch of recipes. Like I have a Singapore noodle recipe where the spaghetti squash is the noodle. Don't they break on you? Not if you cut, if you cut it crosswise through the middle, not not like stem to stem. The noodles or whatever, the, the, the squash uh-huh. part is actually... The fibers. The fibers are long. So you have to make sure you cut it the right way. Because a lot of people cut it through the stem, so the, like the long way. And that will actually make you have short noodles.
0: So cut it, instead of doing that vertical cut through the stem, from the stem to the bottom... Cut it the other way,
2: yeah, crosswise.
0: Hey, how about that? How about there's a couple terms there we should probably define for people too, just so we know. We keep saying the word braising. For those of you who don't know, it's cooking for a longer period of time in a flavorful liquid, generally uh, at a little bit lower temperature. And then you talked about those tougher cuts, you know, cuts that are less good fat, a little bit more connective tissue. Things like chuck, like shoulder, brisket. Those take tend to take longer times to cook, and while we braise them, because it breaks down that connective tissue in there. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to overexplain explain it, but I just know that sometimes my wife hears me on the radio. She goes, what are you talking about? I don't know what that word means, so I'm trying to make her happy.
2: No, I'm glad. I'm glad that there's a chef to explain things. I'm like, I'm just a cook. I just do the things. So that's, that's perfect. <laughs> well, we have your spaghetti squash, and you've,
1: you've cooked it in the pressure cooker for seven minutes after it came up to pressure for 10 minutes. Talk to us about the Sunday night lasagna. You've got yellow summer squash mm. acting as the pasta. Tell us about this business.
2: So I love lasagna, but I can't really eat, you know, regular lasagna noodles, and I can't eat dairy. I mean, I can eat a little dairy, but I can't have as much as a lasagna. <laughs> um, so I recreated a Sunday night lasagna, and it's actually pretty simple to do, and I have step by step recipes. But you basically use a mandolin to thinly slice summer squash. And I pick summer squash because it's yellow. So it kind of looks like lasagna noodles. But you can totally lose, use zucchini and make thin slices. And then for the ricotta, I make it out of macadamia nuts.
0: Macadamia nut, yeah.
2: And you add some uh, nutritional yeast to make it cheesy. Mm-hmm. But you can just blend up a really tasty, you know, nut-based cheese substitute. And then I make a teeter bolognese. I buy store-bought marinara. Like I love Rayo's. That's my favorite brand. And yes, you can make it from scratch, but I I don't have that time. And then I just add some meat to that. And then I just layer it and you bake it and it's bubbly and delicious and super hearty because the mac nut ricotta, non-paleo eaters have eaten it and said, wow, this is really tasty. And you don't get super sleepy afterwards because you're not eating like a giant thing of pasta.
0: How about that? Those nut cheeses too can come out pretty good if you, I mean, they're not hard to make, Like that macadamia mm-hmm. nut cheese is delicious. I've made it several times.
2: Yeah. It is, there's lots of them. I mean, lots of these things are borrowed from, you know, vegan cooking because vegans have been making cheese substitutes for years. Right. And you know, this is also where vegans and paleo people <laughs> can unite. <laughs> vegans
1: and paleos unite.
2: <laughs> yeah. Can you, um, a celebratory
1: dish. I know that I've read you made with your family pot stickers. How have those evolved and, and how do you make that um, with your own family, with your sons?
0: I love potstickers.
2: Oh, potstickers are traditionally Asian parents are not the most open about affection. Like I think my, I've heard my parents say, I love you to me maybe <laughs> once or twice in my life. But I do know they love me because my mom cooks me the most amazing food and that's how she shows me love. And I think there's nothing that shows more love than dumplings because there's so much work involved in making pot stickers or any type of dumpling because each one, like you make the dough from scratch, you have to roll them out and then you have to individually wrap every single dumpling. And so it's a lot of work, but I think it does. It's kind of love on a plate. But the thing that I used to love about the potstickers that my mom would make is that it is kind of a family affair because in order to feed everybody, you have to make a lot of potstickers. So everybody jumps in. And of course, like the kids make really terrible looking potstickers that explode. Um, So I think it's a final dish. Like you try to pick the ones that like mom or grandma made. I when I went paleo, I really missed potstickers. And so I was like, I'm going to create a paleo potsticker recipe. And the dough is mostly made out of cassava flour. But it works really well. It has kind of the same chew, you can cook it where the same technique where you, you pan fry and steam it. And it comes I mean, I've served it to many non paleo people, and they've been amazed that it, it comes out pretty similar. So and it is also something that you have to recruit your family to help you do because it's just a lot of work but it's it's a, a nice family bonding moment.
0: You know we love recipes that are kind of cuisine mashups like the scallion pancake tacos. Let's talk about some of those fillings that make these absolutely amazing.
2: Yeah so that again because I grew up in the you know San Francisco Bay Area like it's all about fusion right or at least my type of fusion. And so I came up with scallion pancake tacos because I was like you know what these scallion pancakes. If you just put them, like if you just curl them up, they'd make the perfect taco shell. Makes sense. So I fill it with there's a Cantonese poached chicken that I put ginger scallion sauce. I have a duck carnitas recipe that you can make in the instant pot, which tastes delicious inside the scallion pancakes. Mm. I have a paleo tasu or a Cantonese roast pork that tastes delicious in the scallion pancake tacos. Japanese braised pork belly. Also delicious inside. I mean, I think with tacos, it's just you can fill them with anything. Scrambled eggs, like if you, you know, or vegetarian you can have scrambled eggs topped with some chili crisp. So it's whatever your imagination can come up with.
0: I want braised duck on my scallion pancake tacos. When Ooh. I saw, I want that. Sounds
1: so good. Yeah, sounds so good. My stomach is growling. Can we end with a with a treat though? With a with a dessert? Your galettes.
2: Galette is just a free form pie. And it's for people like me who don't have time to kind of, you know, make a beautiful lattice. I think there's a joke in the book where I'm like, these are supposed to look rustic. Like even if it cracks, it's not a big deal. The dough that I have, again, is mostly cassava flour and sometimes it can crack. But if you just add a little bit of water, it can fix all the cracks and it can look craggy and it's okay. It tastes really delicious. Like it, it, the crust is still super, um, Crispy on the bottom, like it's not like a soggy mess, but you can fill it with anything. Like you can fill it with sliced apples, with berries, with anything that's in season, and it'll be delicious.
1: And what are the alternative flours you're using when you make this not precious pie?
2: Okay, so for this one, I use cassava flour and a little tapioca flour, and just like a smidge of maple sugar for sweetness, some kosher salts and some eggs and some ghee that is chilled and coarsely chopped. So if you are dairy free, you can use like coconut oil that you've chilled. It's pretty simple. You just throw it all into kind of a food processor and you can kind of knead the dough and you just roll it out and throw in some blueberries or whatever fruit is in season. And I almost think the more rustic a gillette looks, the better it is.
0: You know, it's fun because you could take the same kind of tart shell that you're making here, the the galette shell you're making. You could almost use this for savory applications as well.
2: Yeah, my hand pie is actually, it's just a little rejiggered version of the galette dough. (laughs) Here, here.
0: And you said when it cracks, you just use use a little water to fix it because I would picture that dough is kind of hard to come together, you know?
2: Yeah, and it totally does. Like, I think people are always worried and like, I don't want to add too much or, but it actually, this cassava flour seems to kind of, Dry out pretty easily, mm-hmm. but if you just add a smidge of water, it really does kind of heal all the cracks.
0: And, you know, I mentioned earlier about being in my uh, my pizza world, but you know, especially here in Connecticut, where pizza is religion, uh, you got to tell <laughs> us a little bit about your pizza, your alternative to pizza.
2: So pizza is where you use like rolled out sausage as your crust, okay, in place of dough. And so I'm sure as a true pizza loving chef you're like ah but you know I can't eat regular dough yeah and the pizza the, or the pizza that's in our book is inspired by one that I used to love from the Cheeseboard pizza collective in Berkeley when I was in college because they had a thinly sliced potato and pesto pizza which is delicious but I was like you know what that would be even more delicious on a crust of Italian sausage uh-huh And it is, it's really delicious and it's filling, it's high in protein, you know, it's a nice spin on things. Like even gluten-free pizza is hard for me to eat a lot of just because it's very high carb and there's all that dairy. And so this pizza, you know, helps scratch that itch.
0: You roll the sausage out and does it stay together when you you go to like pick up a slice? It does.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I put it between two pieces of parchment paper And, you know, it's uncooked and so you just kind of smush it together, but it really does. You can roll it out and I like to roll it pretty thin. It doesn't get like crispy like dough, but it does stay together. And if it's nice and thin and use a rolling pin to roll it out and I like to bake it off first. Yeah. Like I cook the crust first and then I put the topping and then I put it back in the oven just to kind of, you know, cook the rest of it. It works. I mean, obviously it's not pizza. It's mitzah. It's pizza. Like, I'm not trying to pretend it's, it's pizza.
0: I mean, Marisol, I might be trying to make a pizza here soon. I mean, <laughs> what? it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense in my brain. Listen, I know people here in Connecticut are going to be like, what are you talking about? But I'm going to roll some sausage out, bake it off, and let's see if we can make pizza. Yeah. It.
1: I'm, I'm here for it. I am here for it.
0: Mizza, I'm in.
1: And let's do it. Michelle Tam, thank you so much for your time. This has been an education of the most wonderful type. Thank you. This has been so much fun. That was Michelle Tam, the cook behind the Nom Nom Paleo website and cookbooks. She's the co-author of Nom Nom Paleo Let's Go, Simple Feasts and Healthy Eats. And you can have a dumpling-making party at your house, too. Michelle's recipe for potstickers is at ctpublic.org recipes. I'm Marisol Castro.
0: And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyan-Aiken and Katie Tolarsky.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.